Thank you for this Wednesday night service. Our pastor's been teaching for weeks on healing. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago, his ministry, what it looked like, how it worked, why it worked. So, Father, we ask you as touching this tonight, help us, give us utterance to go the same direction. In Jesus' name, and may this church be edified, built up, and encouraged in the name of the Lord. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. So tonight, we're going to talk about healing, and we will call it the double cure. Not just salvation for your spirit and the new birth, but healing for the physical body, deliverance for you in any shape, form, or fashion that deliverance may be needed. The double cure. But before we go, here's a story that will, uh, from Dad Hagen's uh, ministry. He said many years ago he was holding a meeting four weeks long. He held a lot of meetings four, six weeks. He said he actually held one meeting nine weeks in one church. That's two months and a week into the third month. He was having this meeting and he had been there two weeks and there was a young lady, he said, that was crippled. She had two crutches, and she could barely swing her weight through the crutches to just move forward. It took her quite a while just to move a short distance. And he said, I noticed that she didn't get in any prayer lines the two weeks that she was there. And the meeting went four weeks, and I'll finish the story in a moment. But at Friday night, at the end of the second week, she had positioned herself at a side door where Brother Hagin went to the parking lot. So she was standing over there as he would go through that door, and she asked him a question. Can I ask you a question, Brother Hagin? Yes, go ahead. She said, who's going to believe for my healing, me or you? And he said, well, I've always felt like it was mutual. I'm, I must believe that I'm anointed to lay hands on the sick and minister to the sick. Then the sick must release faith for the anointing to change and have an effect in their body. So I think it's both of us. I release my faith. I use my faith. You use your faith. She said, well, if I have to believe for anything, just forget it. And he went on through the door to the parking lot. And he said the next two weeks she didn't come back. Didn't come back at all the next two weeks. He was there two more weeks. Two years later, he was back at that church. And she was still there on her crutches. He said, but this time she had her Bible in her lap. The two years before, she was just sitting there with her hands in her lap, no Bible. And he said, I noticed her paying attention and taking notes and reading, following me along in the scripture. And he said, the Friday night of the second week, I was there four weeks that revival as well, but Friday night of the second week, she had positioned herself right here on the front pew so she could be the first one in the prayer line. And because it took her a little while just to move a short distance. And he said, that night, Friday night of the second week, she was the first one up in the prayer line right in front of me. Said She said, Brother Hagen, go ahead, lay hands on me. I'll receive my healing. And he said, I rushed out to gently touch her. One crutch fell one way, one fell the other way, and she walked off healed. Then he asked a question, why? She brought her Bible two years later when he was back the second time. She took notes. She listened. She realized 
that it ain't just a preacher going to fix this for me or get this for me. I've got a part. He's got a part. God's got a part. I heard T.L. Osborne say many years ago, some of you still remember who T.L. Osborne is. Maybe young folks don't. But he uh, made a statement. He said, uh, we've got a saying, an old saying among us. He said that there's two sides to everything. How many's heard that? All your life, maybe? There's two sides to everything. He said, well, actually, there's three sides to everything, not just two. There's the devil's side, which is he tries to lie to you, deceive you, condemn you, keep you from winning, keep you from trying. There's God's side, what he's already done in, in the work of redemption. And then that, and there's your side. Who are you going to side with? Defeat, discouragement, or what God has done. Let me ask you a question like the, the lady asked Brother Hagin and said, who's going who's to believe for my healing, me or you? If, if tonight any of us, or Sunday morning, or crowd, any of us, or the body of Christ all over the state of Virginia, for that matter, if we should approach the natural realm or the sense realm to find out if we are healed, like doctors, symptoms gone, uh, whatever the case may be. If we approached that realm to see if we were healed, none of us would be because that realm says you're not. Is that right? The five physical senses says you're not. You look in the mirror, it says you're not. X-rays says you're not. Pain and symptoms says you're not. All of that screaming at us every day, eight days a week, if we could say it that way, all of that is saying to you, no, you don't have it. You're not healed, and you probably won't be healed. That's what these, these voices are saying. Uh, the great preacher of many, many years ago, John Wesley, said, that the devil has given the church a substitute for faith. It sounds like faith. It seems like it's faith. But he said it's not faith. And he said what it is is sense knowledge or what your senses tell you. And he said that's not faith because faith in God is based on what God has said. So if I looked in the mirror and asked, if you looked in the mirror and asked, or if somebody was on a cane or crutch or wheelchair or whatever, oh, well, that, that says you're not healed. I remember one time Brother Copeland's testimony, he had something wrong with his leg. It had swollen up and just about to, he said, burst his pant leg. It had swollen so tight on a trip. He was coming back into Fort Worth, and he, he said his leg was hurting terrible. Must have been something like cellulitis, I guess. And uh, he got off the plane, and uh, they had uh, prepared a chair, you know, to roll him to the luggage where he'd get his luggage and so on. And he said, uh, they, he said, a uh, heel person don't need a wheelchair. So he volunteered to walk, even though his leg was just hurting se severely. And they got him home. And his mother happened to come over or maybe was already there with Miss Gloria while he was on this trip. And his mother came inside the bed. He went to bed. 
And she said his leg was swollen and red. And she prayed for him, and he finally went off to sleep. And uh, he, he was claiming his healing all the way. Didn't use the wheelchair. And he said, uh, I finally got a little sleep. Woke up next morning, my leg's fine. Hallelujah. But he had to stand. He had to fight. He had to decree that he's healed when it didn't look healed. It would have been easy to get in that wheelchair, and it would have been easy to take Tylenol and aspirin, and he may, he may have took something. I don't know if he did. But if we learn to live by faith, like Brother Hagin talks about his own testimony, he said, the last headache I had was August 1933. And, of course, he passed away in 2003, and he lived more than 60 years after August 1933. He said, uh, I hadn't had an aspirin in over 60 years. If I needed aspirin, I'd take one. And if you need aspirins, he said, I'll buy them for you. He said, but I've not, not even needed the aspirin in over 60 years. Then he went in and said this. He said, if you're going to live in health, you want to live in health and have good health, you're going to have to, uh, uh, without, a, without a doubt, you're going to have to learn how to walk and live in the love walk or you're not going to have good health because your own heart will condemn you. Faith worketh by love. And if you're not walking in love, you know it. Maybe nobody else knows it, but you know it. And your own heart, not God, your heart will condemn you. And John said, if your heart condemneth you not, if there's no con condemnation, your heart's not condemning you about anything, your lifestyle, your attitudes, or anything like that. If your heart condemneth you not, you have great faith toward God. And whatever you ask, you, you can believe you receive. But griping and fussing among each other and uh, whatever else goes along with that will cause your heart to condemn you. Is that right? Nobody in here gripes and fusses. I know that. I, we all know that. <laughs> that. That's been taken care of years ago. I, I, I guess the last time I griped or fussed about anything was way back in 1930. And I... <laughs> And I wasn't born to 1942, so you can see how innocent I am. <laughs> no, we, we, we can get out of sorts and we can gripe, we can growl, we can complain and fuss. And uh, if, if we don't deal with it and get it fixed, our heart will condemn us the next time we need to believe for something. And I see this a lot as, I, as we travel and go into homes and visit people and stay with them and eat with them. I, I, I see a lot that I'm surprised sometimes that I see. That people have been saved for years, just snap at one another like two turtles, snapping turtles. <laughs> so, so that will uh, cause your own conscience, your own heart to condemn you. Is that right? How many of you ever had to apologize to your mate? Maybe this week. Hallelujah. I heard a statement yesterday that said, uh, I, I think it was children that needed at least 12 hugs a day from their parents to let them know that they are loved and, and to comfort them in this crazy world that we live in. That children need to be hugged by their parents at least 12 times a day. 
Well, our spouses need to be hugged as well. I don't know about 12 times a day. It looked like three would be enough. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But uh, there ought, ought to be more of this hugging and loving and sweetheart and honey than that, that goes on. Is that right? Hallelujah. Like one wife, she asked her husband and said, do you love me? I said, do you love me? He said, well, I sure do. She said, well, I wish you'd tell me from time to time. He said, I told you 14 years ago. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. <laughs> That's not good, is it? <laughs> or if you tell your wife or husband, sweetheart, I love you with all my head. How many know that ain't going to go nowhere? That's your feelings, that's your emotion, that's your head. It can change four or five times a day. You can't love nobody with your head. You have to love with your heart. And as John G. Lake said, not John G. Lake, but John L. Who did I say a moment ago? The great preacher from England? Yeah, John Wesley. He said, this phony uh, substitute that the devil has given the church for faith, they think it's faith but it's mental assent. It's mental agreement, but it's not faith in your heart. You can mentally agree that the Bible is true, but still not act on it. And so uh, I was thinking this morning before I got out of bed, early this morning, I'm thinking, all this natural realm that we deal with every day, all this natural realm says to us, you're a loser, you're not healed, you're not victorious, you're not a winner, you're not an overcomer. And all, of course, you know, the, the culture that we're living in now is, I, I would have never, never dreamed that we got to this place in America where the culture is like it is, how people have turned against God and turned against good and seem to want evil and calling evil good and calling good evil. The Bible said they do it, but years ago when I'd read that, I thought, well, surely nobody's going to be dumb enough to call good evil or evil good, but they're doing it today. And preaching it in the schools and preaching it to our children that that's not good. Evil is good. And what the church says good is evil. It's hate crime. It's hate speech. It's judgmental. It's criticism. They just more or less just tell you what a preacher says on Sunday morning is not right. You've got a right to live any way you want, and the preacher don't have no business of telling you what's right and what's wrong, what's sin and what's righteous and what's good and what's bad. You just decide. And so that's where we are. So we have to have a move of God, and I think we're on the verge of a move of God. Let me say something about that song Hannah sung about fire a while ago. That was so, so good. Uh, Regina said she sang it before, but I hadn't remembered it some way or another. Uh, that was so, such a good song. The fire. I've heard more about the fire of God in 2023, in the 10 days of 2024, than I've heard in any other year in over 60 years ago in the Pentecostal churches. People are talking a lot about the fire of the Holy Ghost, the fire of Pentecost. One preacher said uh, a few days ago, he said, we need, talking about the whole body of Christ 
and he's a minister. He said, we need to pass through the fire of purification and cleansing and let this fire, I never heard this statement before in my life, listen to this statement, and let the fire burn up the toys of the sense realm that we like to play with. Ain't that good? I never heard that before in my life. Let the fire burn up the toys of the sense realm that we still hold on to some of those toys. They need to be burned. The fire of Pentecost, the fire that purifies. That's, that's the way Moses got his calling to preach. A bush was burning, and he looked at it, and the limbs and the twigs wasn't falling off. The leaves wasn't falling off. Yet the blaze was there all over the bush, and a voice spoke out. Moses grew up in Egypt in the palace of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's daughter took care of him, you know, when they found him in that little basket in the Nile River. She took care of him and called, as, as he was her own, and called in a, a lady to nurse him, you know, and it happened to be his mother. <laughs> she didn't know what God was setting up so well. But he grew up in Egypt, but he had to flee for his life after he killed that man that was, uh, that was you know, in a fight with a, a Hebrew. Moses stepped in and just killed a fellow. So he had to flee from Egypt. Forty years he's been out of Egypt. And this voice and this fire and this bush is telling him, go to Egypt and deliver my people. And he says, uh, who am I going to say sent me? I don't have no organization that sent me. Who am I going to say that sent me to deliver these people? And the voice said, say, I am sent you. Hallelujah. So that's, that's a fire that God spoke out of. A fire that fell from a prayer of a prophet named Elijah. Just a 63-word prayer, short prayer. Fire came down out of heaven and consumed the sacrifice. And he had poured water all over that sacrifice. But the, 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 God, the, the, those priests, they didn't pour water on their sacrifice. In fact, Elijah poured water on it to make sure, let them know that there's nothing under here that can catch on fire, uh, a trick of some way that can catch on fire and burn this sacrifice. So he wet everything with uh, bucket after bucket, barrel after barrel, keg after keg, whatever it was. I'm sure it wasn't a great big 60-gallon drum, but he wet it down real good and then called for the fire, and it came. How many like to experience that kind of fire? That fire came on the day of Pentecost, and uh, they witnessed it. I better get back to my healing message instead of talking about this fire. Let's put the fire. No, I started saying, let's put the fire out. No, let's not put the fire out. Let's just walk away from the fire and get back to healing. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, there is 20 individual healings that Jesus performed. It tells who the people were, tells where some of them lived, tells what some of them did, tells what he instructed them to do, tells what he did. So there's detail, 20 different healings. Of course, there's thousands and thousands of people healed that no recording of who they were, what was wrong, and so, so on and so forth. And two or three different uh, instances. 
Everybody that touched Jesus in a mass crowd was healed. Everybody. Just like you'd have the football stadium over here at Liberty full. I don't know what it would hold. Let's just say 50,000. I don't, I don't know if it's that big. But let's say there's a crowd of 50,000 in Jesus' meeting, and some people indicate that there were, that there were multitudes of that kind of crowds in some of his meetings. Well, two or three different times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it says everybody that was in that type of crowd, everybody that touched him was healed. So if there was 40,000 there, there might have been at least 30,000 needed healing. And if 30,000 touched him, 30,000 went home healed. And then the Bible says, in another case, that everybody he touched was healed. Now, it'd take you a long time to touch 30,000 people. It'd be an all-day job. But there was instant in, in cases where everybody that Jesus touched was healed, went home healed. But these 20 are handpicked by the Holy Ghost to teach us something, show us something that covers every question anybody would ever have concerning healing. How does it work? What do I do? What's my part? What's his part? How do I change? How do I get it? so on and so forth. There's 20 of these. And as we study these 20, ever, any question anybody would ever have would be answered in these 20 individual cases. And uh, the first one, I don't know if it was in the chronological order or not. It actually, was, that was the first one that Jesus did. But the first one in the list that we teach on and preach about is the leper in Mark chapter 2. And the reason that is chose first out of the 20, because the leper took a half a step of faith. That's all, he did. That's all he could do. He took a half a step, not a full step. He said, thou canst. I believe you can. That's a half a step. If you will. Hadn't yet took that full step. I know you can. I believe you can. If you will. And that if you will was keeping him from being healed. So Jesus answered his if you will by saying, oh, sure I will. And put his hand on him. Right on the leprosy. Right on his body somewhere. And the Bible said immediately the leper left him. And he was cleansed. That's, that's amazing. As, as, as a bad a disease as that is, probably the most worst disease that there are on the planet is leprosy. Still no cure for it today. And Jesus touched him, and immediately leprosy was gone. Well, in another case, there was 10 men with leprosy. Some of them were worse shaped than others, uh, I guess, out of the 10. Some of them were in the last stages, maybe. They didn't want to live very much longer. But 10 of them had got together, I guess, and came from the colony where they stayed, had to stay away from society. And they cried out to Jesus over yonder, way over there, have mercy on us. Ten of them with leprosy. And Jesus said back to them, go show yourself to the priest. That's all he said. Go show yourself to the priest. Six words. Well, you can't go show yourself to the priest until you are cleansed. You have to be cleansed before you go. And the priest examines you and says, yeah, you're cleansed. You can go back to society. You can go back home. You can mix and mingle with people. You're cleansed. And there's a process. 
about how they went through that cleansing uh, in Leviticus. We can't go there. But Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. And they started on their way into town, into the city to go to the temple and set, tell the priest, we're healed. We want you to uh, certify it and let everybody know that we're healed so we can go back and live our normal life. And as they went, the Bible said they were healed. They were cleansed as they went. They may have got a quarter of a mile away, and some of them said, hey, this stuff's leaving me. It's another, another half a mile to the temple, to the priest. I'm healed. And one of them run back to thank Jesus and to praise him and give him thanks and glory for it. And Jesus said, weren't they nine, ten cleansed? Where's the other nine? See, he knew they would all be healed if they believed and they'd go off to show themselves to the priest. And this one came back and he said, weren't there ten cleansed? All of you cleansed? And that guy, he can't testify for the nine. He said, where is the other nine? They didn't, they didn't come back. That's one of these uh, 20 individual healings. But the first one is the leper because he didn't know if it was his, God's will to do it. He believed he could but he didn't know if he would. So Jesus answered his question, uh, yes, I will, and he cleansed him. The second one was Peter's mother-in-law had a fever. Luke said she had a great fever. He was a doctor, so I don't know if they could check your fever like they can today and say it's 103, it's 104, 105, whatever. But he said she, Luke said she had a great fever. And some other translations bear it out that she had this fever for a while, not just woke up that morning and it's there. She may have been, had this fever for four or five days. And uh, one translation said she was delirious with this fever. So she was at Peter's uh, house. Peter's uh, mother, it was Peter's mother-in-law, so, so she's at his home. I guess they took her in to take care of her. And uh, Jesus came in with Peter, James, and John. And they besought him for the sick mother-in-law he went back there, and I guess she's back there in the back bedroom. And he went back there, and the Bible said he rebuked the fever. Didn't rebuke the devil. Didn't rebuke the mother-in-law. Didn't rebuke Peter. He spoke to the fever. Rebuked the fever. And the Bible said it left her. And she got up immediately and ministered to them. As bad a shape as she was in, maybe 105. And he rebuked that thing. It left her. As soon as he walked out of the room, she turned the covers back, got up, put her house coat on, and went into the kitchen to minister to them or to do something for them. So that was the second one, Peter's mother-in-law. The third one was the man that had palsy, and his friends brought him and led him down through the roof of the house. And Jesus had a part to play in all of this, and they had a part to play in all of this. You remember he had to convince the leper, I will. The leper believed he could. And in Peter's mother-in-law's situation, he took authority over the fever, got rid of it. And in, in the third one, he saw their faith climbing on top of the house and letting this man down in front of him through the tile. And he said to the man, man, thy sins be forgiven thee. I guess the four friends said, wait a minute, wait a minute. We came to get him healed of palsy. We don't know nothing about no sin. Has he been living in bad sin? We didn't come for the sin deal. We come for get healed of palsy. 
And Jesus said, man, thy sins be forgiven thee. And the house was full of religious people. And they said, wait a minute, you can't do that. Only God can forgive sin. You're blaspheming. You can't do that. And Jesus said, which is easier to say? Thy sins be forgiven thee or take up your bed and walk. Which is easier to say to him? Or which is easier for him to receive? Forgiveness of sins or healing from the palsy that he has? I'm glad he said, I'm glad he didn't say which is harder. <laughs> he said, which is easier for me to say and which is easier for him to receive? In Jesus' mind, it, one was just as easy as the other to forgive his sins and to heal his body. And so Jesus said, that you may know that the Son of Man, didn't say the Son of God, didn't say, you know, the second person in the Godhead, the Trinity. He said, that you may know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sin on earth. I say unto this man, take up your bed and walk. So his sins was forgiven and his body was healed. He got both. And he only came to get healing for his body. Nobody knows what sins that he was in, but Jesus said, thy sins be forgiven. That was number three. Number four was the nobleman's son. The nobleman lived down at Capernaum. Jesus was up at Cana, Galilee, about 20, at least 20 mile distance. Took the man all day to get up from, Cana, from Capernaum up to Cana, Galilee to find Jesus. And he said, my son is at the point of death. Go with me. And heal him. I come to get you to go back down to Capernaum with me. That's, that's another day's journey. And Jesus said, unless you folks see signs and wonders, you won't believe. And he said, sir, if you don't come down, my son will die. He was a young boy. Wasn't, wasn't, wasn't a teenager, just a young, young boy, according to some of the translations. He said, if you don't come down, he'll die. And Jesus the Spirit of God moved on him. He saw what to do. He gave a command of faith. He said, go thy way, thy son liveth, calling those things which be not as though they were. Go thy way, thy son liveth. The man had to believe that. Now, if the man hadn't believed that, he would still stood there and tried to beg Jesus to go. But see, he would have missed what uh, God wanted to do and the way God wanted to do it. So he said, go thy way, thy son liveth. And uh, he turned around and headed back home. Well, the next day he's getting in about one o'clock. And uh, some people met him and said, your son's doing better. Said he started to amend. Said he said, when? Said yesterday, about the seventh hour, one o'clock in the afternoon, when Jesus said, go thy way, thy son liveth. So the man had to believe that with no evidence whatsoever that anything had changed at the house. But when he got back there the next day, sure enough, the boy was doing well. Started to getting better yesterday when Jesus spoke the word. The tree died when Jesus cursed it. They didn't see no evidence of it till the next day. In Mark chapter 11, you remember that? So that was number four. Number five was the man with the withered hand. And Jesus healed him on the Sabbath day. And the people just, you know, got bent out of shape and went out to try to find some way to destroy Jesus, the Bible said. Because he healed a man that had a crippled hand. Luke said it was his right hand. And Jesus healed him on the Sabbath day. In fact, five out of these 20 was healed on the Sabbath day. And I think Jesus did it on purpose on the Sabbath day just to rub them raw because of their crazy religion that the Sabbath day is more important than getting somebody healed. He could have said, what day do you get them healed? 
none. They didn't get they didn't get him healed in no no day. But they tried to tell him what day he could. So he healed that man with a withered hand on the Sabbath day, number five. Number six was a centurion soldier. He's just a military guy. He's got at least a hundred men under him. Centurion, sentry, hundred. And he said, uh, Jesus, uh, he, they sent word to Jesus and said, would you come and heal uh, this servant that lives in the home of this general in the military, Roman army? And Jesus said, I'll come. Well, the centurion found out he was coming and him being a, uh, he wasn't a Jew. He didn't have a covenant. He probably chewed tobacco and cussed. Yeah, he was just a rough old soldier. <laughs> and he said, I'm not worthy that you should come into my house or under my roof. He said, just speak the word only from where you are. And the servant will be healed back here in the back bedroom. And Jesus said, I've not found great faith like this before in the whole nation of Israel. He said that twice in these 20 events. Great faith. Only said that twice in his three and a half years of ministry. Said that to a centurion soldier, army guy, military fellow, sergeant, I guess, and uh, just, just rough and tough soldier. Said, you got great faith. That was number six. Number seven was uh, Jairus' daughter. Jairus released his faith in words, said, if you'll come and lay your hands on my daughter, she'll live and not die. And Jesus headed that way to Jairus' house. I'll go. So he was going. A big crowd was with him, you know. And the woman that had the issue of blood got in that crowd and touched him with his garment, slowed everything down. Might have took a half an hour or more for her to testify about her healing before they got on over there to Jairus' house. And somebody came from Jairus' house and said, don't trouble the master anymore. The little girl has just died. And Jesus was standing right there close to Jairus. The woman had just testified about her healing. And Jesus heard what they said. And he looked at Jairus and he said, only believe. Don't say anything. Just only believe. You told me if I'd come to your house and lay hands on your daughter, she would live and not die. Now, don't you change. So Jairus kept quiet, never said a word. Boy, it took everything in him, you know, to to not just run back to the house and say, well, it was just too late. He didn't get here on time. Hadn't been for that woman getting, in, getting her healing and testifying, I'd have got him to the house in time. He kept quiet. woman testified about her healing. He went on to Jairus' house. Sure enough, the little girl had died, but he raised her from the dead. That was number seven. Number eight was the woman that had the issue of blood. How did she get her healing? She'd heard about Jesus getting people healed everywhere he went. So she said to herself, if I can touch him with his garment, I'll get my healing. So she started to feel in her expectation when she would touch him, that would be the time she'd release her faith. I'm going to feel my hope. I'm going to feel my expectation with faithful words. She kept saying, Luke said she kept saying to herself, in herself, under her breath, if I can touch him with his garment, I'll be healed. So she did. And she was healed, number eight. Number nine was two blind men. And they cried out to Jesus, Thy son of David, have mercy on us, and so on, followed him in the house. And when everything got settled, Jesus turned around and asked him a question. Do you believe I'm able to do this? Well, that's an easy question, especially if Jesus is asking. Everybody said, well, sure you can. I know you can. Why do you think I come in here? Why do you think I'm crying after you? What do you think I asked for? 
And he said, do you believe I'm able to do this? And they said, yes. So he touched them and they were both healed, number nine. Number 10 is the Seraphonician woman that needed deliverance for her little daughter. And the Bible said her young daughter, 10 or 12 years old, vexed with the devil. And this Seraphonician woman was not a Jew, was not a Jewish proselyte, didn't have the Abrahamic covenant, had no rights to anything, lived in Cana of Galilee, which was a filthy, perverted place to live. All kinds of, you, you, you studied out, all kinds of filth and perversion went on in that neighborhood where she lived. That's the way they lived. And that must have been the way that the evil spirit, the unclean spirit, they said it was unclean spirit, got in the little girl from the lifestyle that they lived and the household that she lived in. So she came to Jesus and asked, and she called him by the right name. She must have heard other people say it because it didn't mean a thing in the world to her. She said, Thou son of David, have mercy on us and uh, heal my daughter that's vexed with the devil. Jesus didn't even answer. She walked right up to him and said that. He didn't even answer. Just like she wasn't even there. And uh, she kept on asking some more questions and wanting healing and crying after him, the Bible said. And the disciples told, told Jesus, said, send her away. She's crying after us. They knew she didn't have a covenant. And finally, Jesus did turn around and had to say this to her because he had to identify her position where she was and what he came to do. And he said, I'm not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she you know, she still wouldn't give up. The Bible said then she worshipped him, fell down and worshipped him, and she cried out three words. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. I can't get help no other way. Help me, Lord. And Jesus said to her again, answered her again, had to answer her plea, help me, Lord. He said, it's not right, it's not appropriate for me to take the children's bread, the Jewish people, the covenant people, and give it to dogs. She said, I know that, I realize that. But said, the dogs get the crumbs that fall off the table when the children are eating, the, the covenant people are eating. They drop crumbs, dogs get them. And he said, for that saying, the devil has gone out of thy daughter. She could have lived a couple miles away from where she found Jesus. And the daughter's back there at the house with these demons tormenting her. And he said, for that saying, the devil has gone out of thy daughter. And he said, oh, woman. First he said this, oh, woman, not old, oh, just the letter O. Oh, woman, great is thy faith. Called her faith great. Called the centurion's faith great. Neither one of them had a covenant with God. Neither one of them was the children of Abraham. Both of them living in the sin up to their eyeballs, no doubt. As we said, the general, the centurion, Probably, uh, you know, snuff dipper, tobacco chewer, cusser, had a hundred soldiers under him. He said, I have to take orders from people above me that have authority over me. And then I got these soldiers under me. They have to take authority. They have to listen to me and obey my commands. He said, you just speak the word only and that, that's, that sickness will obey you. I understand that. And Jesus said, that's the greatest faith I've found in the whole nation of Israel. So that's the first ten of the 20. And you're glad I'm not going to go to the next 10. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say that. What time is it? I don't want to keep you late. What? 
Little I've tried. Well, that's better than a lot I've tried. <laughs> Three minutes I've tried. That's little. <laughs> I'm on. I'm going to quit right here. Uh, I just wanted to introduce you to some people that got their healing that if they'd been living today and the day that mean you living in, see, see, they got their healing without a Bible. They got their healing without any of Dad Hagen's faith books. They got their healing without hearing Pastor Greg teach on it for months and months. They got, the woman that had the issue of blood, she, that's the first time she's ever been around Jesus in her life that day. She said, if I can touch him in his garment, I'll be healed. And this, in, and this uh, Seraphonician lady, it's the first time she ever contacted Jesus in her life. She wouldn't have if the daughter hadn't been vexed to the devil. She wouldn't have ever went to hunt for Jesus. They was living like dogs. But I guarantee you, after the deliverance of that daughter, they didn't live like dogs no more. I guarantee you that household changed. No doubt she said, uh, this Jesus that delivered you, honey. We're going to find out more about him, and we're going to believe in him, and we're going to follow after his teachings. We're tired of living this way. It was a filthy place. You can go back and search out some things, and you can go back to Leviticus and tell you what these Canaanites, uh, how they lived, and what Moses said for the people of that day not to do that they were doing. So no wonder that little girl had a devil in her. You got the wrong kind of atmosphere in your house, and you play all kinds of filthy stuff, songs and videos and so on, you got children and grandchildren, it's going to affect them. It's going to affect them. It's going to affect you too. Can you say amen? amen. You know what we need in our house? Fire. <laughs> Not uh, from a stove and wood, but the Holy Ghost fire. Yeah. Amen. To burn, to purify, to cleanse. Amen. Hallelujah. Yeah. And uh, I'm more hungry for it than I've ever been in my life. And, and if I looked in the natural or I checked my physical emotions and feelings, Brother uh, Nick, it would look like it's just as far away from me as it's always been if I checked that realm. Right. But my heart is hungry for an encounter with God. Amen. And I, I tell Regina all the time, I said, sweetheart, Brother Simmons taught us in the tent that an encounter with God changes everything. And he said, the preachers, he was talking about ministry, this is years ago in the 70s. He said, the preachers that never press in to a place where they have their own individual encounter with God, and it would always be different because everybody is different. He said, if preachers don't press in and have their own encounter with God, I'm not saying they'll be lost and go to hell. I'm not saying they won't get something done. He said, but they'll never be what they're supposed to be. They'll always be mediocre. And it seems like that the whole world is full of mediocre Christians. Lukewarm, mediocre, don't get the results that they ought to get, don't dominate the devil like they ought to, keep him under their feet, live victorious. Like, he, like a, the Bible marker that Mark Hankins got, I'll close just in a minute. He's got a Bible marker, you know, those that Daddy brings every time he comes. And I always get two or three of the same ones so I can give them out to other people. And one of them in the, uh, says, uh, things to remember. Nine things to remember on the Bible marker. 
And uh, number five says, most Christians are weak and defeated in life, and uh, there's a reason for it. He said, here's the way it goes. Why are most Christians, that's, that's talking about all across the board, why are most Christians defeated, discouraged in life? And he answers the question. It's because they lack a bold confession of who they are in Christ. He said it seems like the most difficult thing in the world to get Christians to confess boldly to themselves, looking in the mirror and talking to their own self, how victorious they are because of what Jesus did. Instead of doing that, he said they talk about what they don't have, what they don't know, what they can't do. And that bears record with a prophetic word that Charles Capps gave from Hickory, North Carolina, 1974. Never will forget it. He said he was preaching on Mark 11, 24, 23 and 24. Learned it from Dad Hagen. That was his subject that day. And Mark 11, 23 says, you can have what you say. That was the essence of his sermon, wasn't it? And, and uh, utterance came through the Holy Ghost like it does here, Pastor Greg, tongues and interpretation. So Brother Cap spoke in tongues just for a minute or so and then interpreted on the basis of what he was already teaching. He said, here's what the Holy Ghost said. I've told my people that they can have what they say, but they're saying what they have. And as long as they say what they have, They'll have what they say. See, that's not a tongue twister. That's a revelation. That's beautiful. That's powerful. I've told my people that they can have what they say, but they're saying what they have. And as long as they say what they have, they'll have what they say. And I'm as guilty as anybody else in the building of sometimes saying what I don't have or what I can't do, or what I don't know. And that ain't going to work. Is that right? Praise God. Father, we thank you for this service. We thank you for the praise team we got.